As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Be the best and you got to pay a little price. If you want it bad enough, you got to do a little extra things to get it. Welcome to the 11 Personnel Podcast, your favorite Rams podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Rodriguez, and with me, as always, my fabulous co-host, Rich Hammond. Rich, how are we doing? Oh, boy, Jordan. It's First of fun- all, what t- tell, tell everyone what time it is right now. <laughs> it is uh, 1.53 uh, Pacific time on Tuesday, November 1st, meaning we are now 53 minutes clear of the NFL trade deadline. Jordan and I decided, just so people know, inside inside podcast, uh, we usually record on Monday. We decided in advance, had nothing to do with the result of the, the putrid Rams 49ers game, that we would wait until Tuesday to see what happened with the trade deadline. Well, here we are. <laughs> and uh, despite uh, Jordan's weeks and weeks and weeks of making phone calls and uh, being prepared for something, the Rams, in fact, did not make any moves at the trade deadline we will get into that we got a lot to cover there's a lot to talk about here there's the the trade deadline there's the cam maker situation and how that played into things people have lots of questions about what's going on with the rams on the field coming off of that 49ers game we're going to talk about the defense we're going to talk about the offense both the pass game and the run game jordan let's get right to it all kinds of chatter over the last few weeks. You know what's funny, Jordan? And you you uh, tweeted this as, as part of a, a thread that just went out a little while ago. The Rams, in large part, created this. Um, <laughs> I started covering the NFL in 2016 when the Rams came back. You were obviously in Carolina doing uh, great work there. The trade deadline, historically, is not a time when a lot of things happen. This has historically not been the NBA trade trade deadline or the baseball trade deadline where you see a ton of moves. That has not been the norm. The Rams, in part, have created this culture of please take our draft picks and give us uh, players who will help us right now. Um, And Jordan, as you said in your uh, tweet thread there, they are now feeling the other side of that a, a little bit with these teams that are giving up big offers and and willing to to boldly go out and and pick up uh, players on current contracts. It didn't work out for them here, Jordan. We we knew what their needs were. We knew what they were looking at. 
at the end of the day, nothing coming back in return. I'm going to throw it to you generally because you've been making phone calls and texts and everything else. How did this come down at the end? How close were the Rams? What were they looking at? And what's the feeling now that this roster remains as it was yesterday? Yeah, so it's I kind of call it the Rams are currently navigating a hell of their own creation, um, which is <laughs> it's often how I feel, too. Yeah, and but it's and it actually is super fascinating if you kind of take a step back, if you're looking at it from that telescopic view, as Les Snead likes to say, because any any market inefficiency that is exploited will ultimately become efficient in a competitive salary capped and parity driven league. So what you're seeing right now, I'm not going to say it's, oh, the Rams are the re- like the reason why this is happening completely, but they're a big part of it. What they were able to accomplish with their picks for player trades and a new wave of, of general managers who are understanding when to press on capital, when to hoard capital, um, which what capital means, some of the inefficiencies and and um, failures of drafting in the first round in general, when value drops off for players historically. And all of that will at some point, I assume, swing back around at some point in the in the long term future of the league. But right now where things are at is the Rams exploited an inefficiency, which is picks for players trades in high volume. It wasn't just picks for players trades. Everybody's been doing picks for players trades since, you know, forever. But this was in such high volume and in such frequency and in doing so for, you know, premium positions, the Rams personal beliefs in their own premium positions are quarterback, wide receiver, um, uh, corner and pass rusher, whether that's an Aaron Donald, who is a unicorn and we may never see the likes of him for decades and can rush from wherever, but is still a DT or an outside linebacker edge player, uh, someone in that upper tier. That is who you, you know, the, the high, high value picks for players or a player who is their idea of this is our one player away guy in the past, the Rams have sort of been a team and especially last year, they were a team that was one or two players away. You already saw the market changing a little bit. Um, They got way out in front really quickly um, with the quarterback thing. And it was a good thing they did at that time. I would argue they should have pulled the trigger in 2020, but maybe they don't get Matthew Stafford at that point. And maybe everything, the ripple effect changes, but this this is so interesting because it's you saw it coming because it started with the quarterbacks. All of a sudden, there was this historic quarterback movement across the league, right? Then you saw it this last offseason after the Rams won the Super Bowl um, after trading for Von Miller ahead of the deadline. And again, able to move quietly and doing that. And one of the very rare instances of a pick of a picks for players trade ahead of the deadline. And they're still at that point able to move a little bit quietly and, and able to go about their business and kind of come out of nowhere with this trade, which is what they'd done historically. It's what they, d- they did with the Jalen trade, all of that stuff, right? Then all of a sudden you're seeing now um, this past offseason, huge amounts of movement for teams who are stocking up 
you, you know, elite who they believe are elite players, not just quarterback movement, but also teams like Miami bringing in the speed guys, um, other, you know, other teams around the league really going full on picks for players in such high volume mode. And, you know, in some places it's working out really well. I'd say in Miami, it's working out really well. I'd say Buffalo is working out really well. Um, I'd say, Chargers and Raiders, you're kind of like they're on a little bit of unsteady ground at this moment. But in theory, the theory of what they were trying to do, you could see the vision for that. Um, Broncos as well. You could see the vision for it, if not the execution in this full full term. So now the Rams are in a space where it's not just that um, they're on the other side where they have traded lots of their picks for players. Um but they're also now competing in a market that is flooded with other competitors, right. which means that teams who have the players that people want can drive up the capital that it would take to, to get to them. It's, it's what happened in plain sight with the Christian McCaffrey deal. The yep. Rams didn't have that fourth round pick, but they could have made up for it on the back end with some of their 2024 picks. But they were not willing to do that, understanding that the reason why that's even on the table in the first place is a result of the the market that they actually helped to create. So it's like I said, they're in, they're navigating through a hell of their own creation. They would uh, 10 times out of 10 do it all over again because they want a Super Bowl. But at the same time, now they're going to have to move even quieter through these circles. You also saw this. I, we've got so much to get to, Rich, and I've got so many little tidbits from the last couple of weeks that I've yeah. been sort of waiting to share because Twitter.com does not pay me, but The Athletic pays me. So um, we're <laughs> waiting to share uh, with, with you guys in these spaces because it's um, it, it, it's like now there's this sense too, where if the, the only, if they want to stay competitive, they do have capital, but if they want to stay really competitive, they also have to be extra quiet, extra secretive about where they're moving because you're even seeing teams float them out for trades that they're not even a part of that. They've not even called on that. Right. They're not even interested in. You've seen their name get leaked by certain buildings in attachment to different things. And you're also seeing their name in order to like drive. Oh, the Rams are in it. Okay. We better get, you know, we better go. And you're also seeing in the case of the, the Brian Burns situation where um, Albert Breer was reporting that the Rams offered two firsts and, and potentially a, you know, a player this being Cam Akers um, for Brian Burns, which um, would be something actually I would agree with that in terms of the short term and the long term move, you're, you're seeing that a conversation, which to my understanding took place a while ago, you're seeing that sort of circulating um, today in sort of a last ditch sort of, Hey, can, can, uh, can we see what else is out there? Can we see if anybody wants to up this? And that's really interesting to me because now it's not only the Rams are not, not only battling the market that they helped to create, but they're also, um, battling sort of like the the shadow world where <laughs> they they are getting attached to things that they're not even involved in i mean in in the brian burns case i think albert breer spot on with that but like the you know in in other cases in other scenarios certain players you'll see attached to their names they're also dealing with teams using them to you know increase the capital in other places almost like bait and it's it's right. wild man it's been a crazy couple of weeks and i would also say too there's like this sense that, you know, just because nothing happened, there was nothing attempted. Oh, my God. These oh. guys have have been looking under rocks, man. I'm telling you what, like, we'll, we'll get into all of that. But, Rich, that's my, my big picture takeaway. It's yeah. so interesting to see now because they still I do believe they still are in a contention window. The product on the field does not 
necessarily reflect that right now. Um, but I do believe in terms of this roster and where it's at and, and what it's capable of, they're still in a contention window. Um, and so I'm sitting here and I'm like, well, now you're going to have to navigate this, ch- this rapidly changing economy mm-hmm. on the fly as you continue to try to fight to stay in that contention window. Yeah, in fact, it's a couple of things from my past hit me right away. You're right. The the amount and I don't even know this. I'm not speaking down to anybody, but the amount of phone calls, the amount of texts that get exchanged. I can't even imagine what it's like for for an NFL GM. I mean, you, you people see what happens on the surface. Oh, they're making calls about this person or they're talking about theirs. You are seeing the very tip of the iceberg, the very tip of the island uh, when in down below there are hundreds of phone calls that get made or texts that get exchanged or whatever we neither one of us jordan can can even grasp the enormity of what happens and and we have a small glimpse of it uh but even then we we can't even get into all the conversations all the negotiations i mean just because you see something reported on twitter i mean that again that's the very tiny tip of of what's been going on there underneath for for days for weeks sometimes even for months uh depending on the trade so uh, it's, yeah, it's a really in this case months because yeah. as yeah. i said i've said this since may they th- this has been a right. fact this isn't something that i'm like hey i think the rams should go get a pass rusher right. no since may i've been saying mm-hmm. the rams are fully aware they've got to put together a competitive and aggressive package and aggressively explore their options at pass rush right. heading into the deadline that is the number one thing that is the priority even as other needs popped up along the way and they sure did Right. Um, you know, that's the number that was the number one. The, if they were when they put together these aggressive scenarios, multiple aggressive options explored, by the way, um, when they did that, that was that's that was always the plan. That was always something that was going to happen. They cannot control if a team does not want to trade them their player. Right. Um, and I also don't think that this automatically rules out you know, this spring after the season, like I'm not mailing in the Rams season by any means. I'm not doing that. Right. But at the same time, like if they were ready to go for it at that point, you know, you don't know who's the who the GM of the Carolina Panthers is going to be this spring. Mm-hmm. I know Scott Fitterer is hoping and he's a nice man. And I know he's hoping that it's it's him. Um, but you don't know, you know, right. so much can change in so little time that for me, it's like if they were willing to push that type of capital in, for a pass rusher, for a pass rusher who could be with them this year and beyond and would immediately like sign, you know, trade and extend similar to the Jalen Ramsey situation um, where they had that lo- that uh, writ- verbal agreement between the team and the agent that he was going to be extended following the trade. Like, and that was the plan the whole time. Um, right. Then that's, that's, you know, you kind of can see what, they aren't going to be afraid to do this spring should those should that moment arise, you know? Right, right. And it's it's all like I said, there's so much that goes on here that that is that is wild. Um, but, you know, what, what I keep coming back to 
Jordan is just and I think we talked about this a little bit last week is it's it's capital. It's it's not a matter of I think people see it in in a little bit of black and white terms sometimes like, oh, the Rams are giving up on this season, so they're not going to make a trade or they don't think it's worth doing. But you, you have to look at what you're giving up as as capital and what you're giving back, getting back in return as capital. Is it worth it? You talked about the McCaffrey trade. Is it worth it to, to add in those extra picks that would get you Christian McCaffrey? You have to look at it in some ways with a detached kind of uh, non-personal, not e- non-emotional way and say, is this something that we should do? Is this smart? Is it better to wait? Is, is, the, is the market going to look different in, in February or March than it does right now for a player like this? And, and the other thing is you said so eloquently there, it's about the inefficiencies here. And maybe I don't know this. I'm speaking only for myself, not for any, not for you, Jordan, or anybody in the Rams organization. But there is a scenario in which a team, maybe not even the Rams, can start to look at this and say, maybe that is starting to swing too far in the other direction. Maybe these these moves, these strategies that are going uh, that have been going on are going too far. And now now the inefficiency is the other way. And you have to start looking at it that way. Maybe to teams are going too far out onto the plank we got to get back on the boat you know and and i'm not saying that that is what is happening but those those are the kind of ebbs and flows that that you're talking about in in roster construction and i think rich it's a great point i think you're looking at in this case as an example is denver and denver who did the big swing for the quarterback and jury is i think very undecided on whether that was the right decision at quarterback to make. Um, But they took the big swing for a quarterback and it's clearly a position that they're figuring out and and the head coach and all of that stuff, they're going to be figuring that out, new ownership. And you're also looking at, okay, well, they immediately are working to recoup their picks. They traded a young edge rusher who is not even in his prime years yet who is super productive, who's an anchor point. Yeah, they have some great young guys underneath him. But at the same time, like, that's how you know. I mean, you look for those teams now. So you kind of start to play in those margins a little bit, I think, while you wait for the big pendulum swings either way. And that's exactly what the Rams were were sort of looking at in terms of their interest in Bradley Chubb was – you know, hey, this this team is going to have to recoup some of its picks to make up for the fact that they've got to figure this thing out because it's not the quarterback is not solving all the problems. In fact, he's creating a lot of the problems. <laughs> and, you know, th- that that's that's the type of margin that they're going to have to be exploring right now as they wait to really get a clear read on which, you know, general direction the pendulum will swing back, because in two years, you know, it's 10 trades today. It's a record, right? Yeah. And and in the offseason, also a record in terms of the the um the free agency period, also a record. So you're looking at a whole bunch of movement and not all of it will work out. And a lot of these teams, some of these teams who push in chips early like this, um, will also find themselves at a certain point in the space that the Rams are currently standing in. At that point, do the Rams have picks? Do they not? You don't know. But that's sort of the way that this thing cycles around and around yeah. and around again now, now that there are so many teams who are unafraid to make trades like this. And also a team that went out and did crazy picks for players trades went out and won the dang Super Bowl. So <laughs> that's that's right. where we're at right now, I think. And in terms of 
um, us at analyzing this situation and trying to put myself in the heads of, you know, the, the people who are much smarter than me over in that building. And I think that, um, it's interesting to look at because you have to find margins now and you have to try to pull at certain threads where, like I said, with the Denver situation, that was such a perfect fit in part because, um, that was someone who leaned a little bit too far in their own pursuit right. of a similar model. Right. It's it's not unlike what we talk, and I know we're going to talk about the for the this episode ends that the ebb and flow of the offense versus defense in the in the NFL, where you know some t- things swing far in one direction and then they get pulled back, and it, it, it's the same thing with roster construction among these teams that that are smart in a capped league. It's it's the way that that you you have to look at it. You have to find those inefficiencies within the market, and those inefficiencies are not going to be the same from from one year to the next, or certainly not from a five year period to the next five year period. So. It's fascinating to see how that uh, kind of evolves over time. Jordan, let's let's continue talking about this, but let's pull in one other element that I think has to be involved in this conversation, which is Cam Akers. And, mm-hmm. and we've known now for a couple weeks that independent of, of the, the very particulars of what's going on within that building, it's it's very safe to say that it's it's a difficult situation that's going on there. There's clearly some type of strife that's taking place. Um, um, it's pretty clear that it, Cam Akers was a part of uh, trade discussions that were going on during that period of time. He is now still a Los Angeles Ram. Um, that has some, pardon the expression, ramifications on what's going on going forward. So, Jordan, where where were they um, with that, and and really, what is the path forward? Now, I, there, there are still a couple options here. Um, and, and what do we think is feasible and, and what are the options? Yeah. So uh, just quickly to place all of this within context. So the Rams were the pass rusher thing that that's a priority. But the Rams were also looking at a couple of different positions as well in case things popped one way or another. Lesser capital involving types of trades. They were looking at receivers. They were looking at um, running backs. Um, they were looking at uh, at interior offensive linemen and trying to see, you know, what was possible. And always Cam Akers name is a factor in talking about the different packages. I would say they, they had a couple of big swing packages and maybe a couple of medium to smaller range swing packages. Put, you know, kind of those ideas working all at the same time. And Cam Akers name being a part of these things as a player who they would send in the other direction if one of those teams that they were in in conversations with were to bite. And so I think that that was also something that it sounds like to me, and again, it's a lot of phone calls and a lot of trying to get people who don't want to tell you anything to tell you something and, um, and to also respect the nuance of the situation. It sounds like that's sort of a mutual thing. Like, Cam was okay if he was going to get traded. And um, it sounded like the team was okay if he was going to get traded. And so now I don't necessarily know. I cannot say with 100% certainty that Cam Akers even wants to come back and be a part of this roster because he was okay. It sounds like with, with being traded um, if that were to, if that were the thing to come to fruition, And again, this whole situation, like I haven't really gotten the sense that there's any huge catalytic event that happened. We've been sort of talking about this situation escalating over the last 
several couple of months actually rich ever since training camp and those mysterious injuries and um you know all of the things you know the urgency comments and those types of things now i i don't really get the sense that this is like a hostile thing at all like i don't get the sense that um if he were to be in the locker room tomorrow i think it would be kind of awkward at first for people just not having seen him in two weeks but i don't think there would be any like um you know toxicity in the locker room i don't think that it's that type of scenario at all i think it's more so like truly doesn't agree with the direction that sean mcveigh wants to take the run game and truly sean mcveigh doesn't think that cam is right to disagree with the direction he wants to take the run game right you know what i mean like that's kind of my read on the situation and you're also dealing with two very unique and highly competitive personalities so like I said, I don't think it's like open hostility. I, I, and I've been digging on this, like I said, for weeks and mm-hmm. and I haven't heard anything about like some crazy incident on on like a sideline or like some crazy incident, you know, in the locker room. Like I haven't I haven't heard of anything like that. And, and really, so sometimes the simple answer is the correct one. And to me, it just this thing has been escalating and there just is a. Um, I think the politest way to put it is just a disagreement in philosophy with where they want to go. So I I can't say with certainty that Cam will be on this roster, even though Sean McVay sort of is up on the podium saying like, oh, you know, we'll we'll work it out with him. You know, if he can't if we can't trade him, you know, we'll always try to see if we can work it out with him on the roster and all this stuff. I just don't know that. I mean, you've got you've got Ronnie Rivers who went in and started and. Um, you know, he's kind of bought into what they want to do. And, you know, you've got Daryl who was sick this last week, but the way that Daryl ran against the Panthers shows me that he was kind of trying to make a little bit of a statement about him wanting to be bought into what they do. Um, Kyron Williams, who they've gushed about, like they'll probably be sitting on the waivers, Malcolm Brown, like you kind of got, it seems like things are sort of moving in a different direction and uh, moving. I don't want to say moving forward because their run game is atrocious, but like they're sort of moving you know, mentally, it seems like they're sort of moving forward and it's not to say that they can't figure it out, but I guess I'd just be surprised. And honestly, I would kind of be surprised if Cam wanted to be back too. I mean, I know he, I saw the tweet about him missing playing football. And, and I, like I said, I don't think there's any hostility or anything like that, but at the same time, I I just think he maybe just wants to be a part of a different space. Right. And I also Mm -hmm. think that teams were never going to trade for him. If you say you're trying to trade him, they're not going to trade. They're not going to trade for him. Okay. I mean, the you know, Kareem Hunt, who was having a probably I would say, I mean, I haven't checked closely, but who's historically had better production um, than than Cam Akers and seems like he's having a better season in the limited opportunities he gets. You know, people aren't trading for him. They're waiting for him to get cut. Yeah. And and by the way, on that point, too, I did want to say there's some rumors like what I said with T different teams matching people's names to different things. The Rams were not, I reiterate, the Rams were not um, legitimately interested in uh, the potential of trading for Kareem Hunt. So got a lot of questions about that. That was not a thing. Um, so moving moving on, the, the, the other stuff was like, you know, th- this, I wouldn't be surprised if Cam, you know, team, teams weren't going to, ever trade for a guy they think might be cut like why would you give something up right you know what i mean there has to be a market if you eliminate your own market then what what are you hoping to get out of this so yeah it's you're not gonna 
you're, you're not going to trade for somebody who you expect to get cut. Take some, um, of that, take some of that weirdness from Sean McVay regarding injuries and put it toward like not openly <laughs> discussing trade plans. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Take this energy and move it here. <laughs> you know, here's here's what gets me about this, Jordan, because um, I want to I want to put this delicately, but we talk about the Rams philosophy, right? And I mean, you you have gone so in depth on this over the last couple of years and have been out front in explaining why they do things and why this is a strategy. Um, to me, it is something that definitely can work, but if it was easy, everybody would do it. It's not easy. And the flip side of it is you reduce your margin for error in so many ways you you have to hit on other things at such a higher level than other teams do in order to uh, compensate for that salary structure that you have when you're paying your top guys so much money. You have to do what they did in 2017, 2018. You have to draft your Cooper Cup. You have to draft your John Johnson. You have to draft these guys in those middle rounds who are going to be better than what other teams are drafting in the first round or the second round. And I think one problem that we've seen here in the last couple of years, and I don't mean for this to be a hot take or some type of incendiary Here thing. Go. Here we go. But <laughs> what have the, la the last two highest picks have been Tutu Atwell and Cam Akers? Ernest and Jones. And Ernest Jones. Yeah. But, but the, the two Ernest was a third rounder, though, right? Oh, I'm mixing up my years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm talking about I'm. I'm I, me. I, yeah, you're correct. No, I probably yeah. phrased that the wrong way. I, I was specifically referring to the two second rounders, the gotcha. highest, the highest gotcha. picks that they that they've made. And we are now approaching a real scenario in which. Look, Tutu Atwell is just not a part of this offense. I don't I don't I, I, I'm starting to feel like the ship has sailed. You, it, it, something can happen at any point, I understand. But uh, I, I think they've taken their, their swings at that and it's just not working. And now they find themselves in a situation where a guy who they drafted and hoped to build their run game around also is potentially on the verge of not being a part of this offense. I mean, he's not right now. For the past two weeks, he has not been. He's healthy and he has not been a part of this offense. To me, that's a big problem. To me, that's where you start to see, okay, this 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 very tenuously built structure that you've created uh, can only sustain itself if if you are continue to hit on these things that the Rams have hit on and you're starting to see that crack a little bit. And again, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to take shots at anybody. It's not a specific criticism, but that's why this is hard. That's why if this was easy, every team would do it. It's not easy. It's really hard to do. And and if you don't hit those things, then that's I mean, imagine if you had you talk about these issues that, that the Rams have right now. Imagine if they had used those two second round picks on players who could who were contributing right now. Imagine if it was a receiver who was contributing right now, a running back who was contributing right now. That would answer a lot of these issues. That would answer a lot of these questions. And instead, they use those two pieces of capital on players who are not contributing right now and potentially aren't going to be contributing into the future. And, and to me, that's that's a big part of the problem. Yeah, that's huge, Rich. Great point. And also, 
I all, I do want to say like, so I'm going to take health out of the equation. Cause I, I don't, I think that that's one of the biggest and, and most important reasons why this ecosystem and, and all of its interdependence right. like can function is when you stay healthy, which they had. And the season's a huge outlier in that regard. So right. I'm going to remove that from the equation. Cause that's the caveat to most of the things that they're, that, that have happened to them this year so far. And, but I will say to, to expand on your point, the two things, if you are not, if your draft picks are not quote unquote perfect, which the Rams know they are likely not going to be quote unquote perfect because they're drafting in the middle rounds. And that is the deal they made in order to sustain what they have in this ecosystem. And they are fully aware that you're not going to get perfect quote unquote players or prospects, but you also cannot continue to sustain the attrition that they've had on the coaching staff um, because uh, you have to coach those players up yeah. in the way where they are contributing. So first you got to hit, it's all things at the same time. Mm-hmm. You do have to hit on those picks, but you also have to coach these guys up. And you also have to have people in the room who are saying, I can't coach that guy up. That guy weighs 160 pounds and he's not going to gain weight. He's fast as hell and we like him as a person, but he's not, he's 160 pounds in the NFL, this NFL where we're playing the San Francisco 49ers who are going to come at us with, uh, you know, brass knuckles on their hands two times a year at minimum. And we're going to pick a 160 pound. You have to be a coach who says, I cannot do that. Right. And you have to say that to the people who, to the head coach who pushed to pick, pick this guy, first Mm -hmm. of all. And you also cannot deal with the attrition because you have to be coaching these these guys up. And and it's the same. It's you know, that's just an example. It's the same with with whoever, you know, the assistant coaches are, whoever they are. Right. The, the coordinator, right. Um, the, the OC, who's maybe got the bigger voice in the room than perhaps the receivers coach in that in that particular phase of the plan. So when you lose coaches like this and you rotate through and, and you're not getting the most out of every single player who is expected to have a role for you, that's part of it. Yeah, that, that's a fantastic point, Jordan. It's it's not just about the players as they come out of college. It's it's what you can do with them and and uh, you know how they how they fit into your to your system and all that. But yeah, it's just I mean you it, it goes back a little bit to what we were just talking about, right? I mean that this is capital. I mean it's it's a second round pick, but, but what are you going to do with it? Uh, it doesn't it doesn't have any value on its own. You can't you can't uh, it's not going to score any touchdowns for you. That that draft slot is not going to score any touchdowns for you. It's what you end up uh, doing with it. And and the Rams had done a great job with that. Like I said, I mean, getting Cooper Cup in the third round and some of these guys who they've been able to develop. And and when you can do that, it just makes it so much easier. Yeah. And you can't miss multiple years. Like everyone always says, yeah. like football people and execs and GMs or whatever. It's like if you can hit on a third of your draft picks or like you have a good, a quote unquote, good draft where you've got contributors, one third of all your drafts. So every, let's say one out of every three drafts, you're like overall, like it will never shake out this way, but let's say hypothesizing like it would, then you can't have two in a row that are, that are bad, essentially. Like you can't have a draft two second round picks in a row who are not contributing for you. Right. And so I think that that's part of it. And, you know, long-term, I think, I asked Sean McVay this week, actually, um, about the run game and the overall vision for it. At what point? Because they have not found, and and I would I would actually agree with him that a, a lot of what happened 
on um, Sunday against San Francisco, this was had a lot more to do with the offensive line than perhaps the running backs because he even said uh, something like, I thought Ronnie Rivers did the best with what he had, did, did what he could with what he had. And I was like, dang, tough day in the O-line room. <laughs> You know, <laughs> and, yeah, no and yeah. um, he said we couldn't create movement and we we couldn't respond to the movement they created up front, which, again, it's like basically, you know, flipping the bird to your offensive line. So I think that like that's that's part of it. And I so I'd agree with him on that. But in terms of their running backs, mm-hmm. I asked him at what point, because this was his priority, at what point do you. Just overhaul the entire process from talent identification and scouting to the way that you manage them in terms of injury history and injury maintenance to the way that um, you work them into whatever the vision, whatever the plan is, whether you want it to be a committee or you're looking for a lead back to how you're coaching them, to how you're bringing them along and and. Um, meant you know, are there mentors in the room? I think it was huge that the Rams got rid of Sony Michelle or they they didn't retain him. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a guiding, they brought in Malcolm Brown um to pick up a couple blitzes every once in a while and to be a good presence in that room. But it's it's already the situation was already rolling down the hill at that point. Right. right. You know, so it's kind of like at what point do you overhaul your entire process and your entire vision? But but like like to your point that you can continue to be as aggressive as they've been. Like, I do believe that this model sustains because I do believe that there's always a margin to explore and there's always some dark corner that nobody's looking in to try to check because everybody's looking over in the other direction. That's, that's how scheme works. That's how offense defense combats against each other. Um, That's how player identification works. That's how team building and roster building works as well. And so I do believe that you can continue to be aggressive, but you need the other parts of your ecosystem that you were absolutely dependent on in the Super Bowl run. And in the years ahead of that Super Bowl run, you need that to also be functioning. Every single one of those levels has to be functioning. It's why Quasi Adolfo Mensa said early in the season or in the right, right as the season began, you never want to go full Rams. He didn't mean that as like an insult to right. the Rams, he said he was saying it's freaking hard to maintain what yes. they did over there. Yeah, no, exactly right. And like I said, if it was easy, that everybody would be signing up for it. And uh, it, it, you're seeing both sides of it. And the thing is, like, and this is like, I, I understand the frustration of Rams fans, and I know we're gonna we're gonna pivot here in a second and get into some specific things uh, in, in, that happened in that game against the 49ers. But the only thing I would caution people against, and I don't I don't mean this to sound the wrong way, but people have to remember this is not supposed to be easy. <laughs> this is not uh, the Rams have, have enjoyed this extraordinary run here over the last couple of years. But you look around the league, and uh, you know uh, the Bengals are four and for right now. I mean, the, the team that's, that's uh, Rams are coming to, uh, about to play Tampa Bay is struggling right now. I mean, this is not supposed to be easy. These things are hard and they are hard to sustain over a long period of time here. I don't say that at all to excuse anybody or to, to uh, you know, to, to, you know, downplay fans expectations not, nothing like that but just keep that in mind sometimes is that this is very difficult uh to do and and you have to be extraordinarily nimble and you have to have extraordinarily high batting average on the things that you do in in order to, to sustain that success so jordan let's 
we're, we're recording this now on a Tuesday, of course. So we're a little bit removed from, from Sunday's game, but yes. And um, real quick, Rich, because yeah, yeah, continue, I want to get into, I do want to run in. There are some people who are maybe not on Twitter or not, you all should be subscribers to the athletic.com. But if you're not, we'll go over that at the end. But yeah. if you're not, uh, just for people who maybe aren't on either platform, um, I do want to run down a couple of other things that I learned throughout the trade deadline process oh, yeah. Um, yeah. that I shared in that thread on Twitter or have shared since, but um, just want to make sure everybody's on the on the same page. So yes, sure. they did have a couple of aggressive uh, capital packages put together um for the possibility of path of a pass rusher um they were exploring a couple of different options in that regard um and also they were not ever going to do anything in regards to brandon cooks if his salary was what it was um he's owed 18 million guaranteed in 2023 so that's obviously not something that you can really restructure if it wasn't guaranteed you could restructure all of that into like void years or future years or you could do an extension or whatever that was a contract that the texans agreed to with him so my sense since that started swirling around and i think that was obviously a popular destination for him because he was um uh, he he has friendships in this building still with, you know, a couple of guys who played with him and people who coached him. And um, by all accounts, he's a great dude. Um, and he definitely wants out of Houston. But my understanding of the entire situation from start to finish was that no team was going to touch that contract if it stayed as is. Um, also, just to touch on something that we mentioned before, as I was going off on a tangent, um, the Rams did sort of evaluate possibilities at, at running back. They were not going to do a contract or do a trade um, for a uh, a running back who they then maybe only have for eight games um, in terms of, you know, this is a team that's just not going to pay a running back long term anymore. They just won't. And so they weren't going to do anything like that. Um, also, the Cam Akers situation kind of clouded that up a little bit because I would imagine that you're going to try to at least get a pick back if you're trading for a running back. Um, you're maybe going to try to get a pick back for the running back that you aren't going to be using. Um, so I think that that sort of factored into it as well. Um, but they were not in. Tr- they weren't in the Kareem Hunt situation. Um, that's not serious. That was not a serious. Uh, I saw there was like a, a tidbit or someone reported that. And I, of course, never want to and will never bash other reporters or anything like that. But that was not a thing. Right. Um, and moving forward, I think, you know, you kind of saw a, a bit of a, a a reality check, but it was also kind of like, um, you know, it, <laughs> when you're trying to see like what's in the water and you throw a little. You know, yes. how many sharks are underneath the surface? Yes. You throw a little, throw something Drama. in there. Yeah. You throw a little, you know, sardine or whatever in there. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, holy cow, there's a lot of, a lot of things going on under there. I think it was kind of uh, this whole period. Yes, they were trying to aggressively make a couple of moves. Um, and they had a couple of other options that they were going to potentially explore as well. Nothing popped. But if you're going to look at the situation from a big lens, you always are trying to take something from it. Um, this group especially is and what they took from it was um, wow we really saw where everybody else is at like Mm -hmm. saw saw all the books saw where everyone's at saw where the market's going Um, yeah so that that's the interesting part of that that's been an interesting theme in 
a lot of the research, uh, quote unquote, uh, lurking and digging <laughs> that I've been doing over the last couple of weeks. Research sounds so much more dignified, though, doesn't I it? Yeah. I wonder yeah. what people think I do all day, actually. I legitimately <laughs> wonder that sometimes because I'm like, do you guys think I just decided, just like felt like tweeting this and or like... You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I'm yeah. not saying that to be insulting, like at all. I just, I find it hilarious because if I were, you know, not in like, for example, like I have no idea what, you know, sir, like people, like people on this team, we had no idea what John Walford does all day. Oh my God. My God. He wrote an op-ed yes. for the athletic in case you missed it. It's, it's free for all to read. And oh my goodness. I was like, I had no, I'm in the building every day and I had no idea what you do all day. And it blew yeah. my mind. Like it, it was insane. So yeah. that's why I say that. It's just like, yeah. you know, I, it, it's a, uh, it's a very active process friends. <laughs> yes. No, that, that's what we said. I mean, and the, imagine what it's like for the personnel people who are, who are dealing with this and making these calls. I mean, it's, it's I just slurped my coffee again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got to keep that in. We, I did that the other day too. I don't realize how what? close I am to finishing. What, is your IV line get unplugged or something? Why yeah, are you, why are you drinking it now? <laughs> are you away from your uh, machine? You got any more of that uh, caffeine? You got any more of that caffeine? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time sounds like a real game changer if you ask us Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, uh, the trade deadline is over, Jordan. That's uh, at least we can say that much. Uh, (laughs) um, But let's... um, I know there's a there's a topic here that, that we want to talk about, and and it's something that we we talk about a lot, actually, but but it can never be said enough. And and it got illustrated again or highlighted again in the in this Rams loss to the 49ers um, on Sunday, which is the understandable and and I use that word sincerely, the understandable frustration that comes with Rams fans when they watch the way that games develop sometimes and they watch the the way that teams exploit uh, this Rams defense, the way that they try to attack it leads inevitably to questions about why are the Rams playing this way? Why don't they adjust? Why don't they learn and play a different way? Jordan, I don't know how many words you've spent, you know, trying to to explain this, um, but the questions still come up when there's a game like this past Sunday where some of those things get exploited again. I know you've, you've written a lot about this, uh, I know our friend Cody Alexander uh, on on Twitter this morning, uh, Tuesday morning, had a nice string where, where he explained some of this stuff, too. So I, I'm going to throw it to you again, Jordan, kind of generally with 
what should people know here? Um, when, when you talk, when you, when you watch a game, you're a Rams fan, you watch a game like this past Sunday and you're frustrated and, and you're upset because of the way things played out. What, what should they know about that? And what should they know about the way that this defense is designed and, and why these things happen? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say overall, I think we all can agree, even, you know, the most, uh, one eye on it, one eye living the rest of their lives football fans on in the world would all agree that like overarching themes this year, this offense has been an issue. This offense needs to be scoring more points. This offense cannot run the ball. This offense cannot in six tries punch in a touchdown. And on the seventh try, the quarterback just goes into effort mode and runs it in himself and on a broken play, mind you. And this offense is not producing. And so when you're reliant on a defense that is designed to limit scoring and limit the explosives with the way that they play, now you're asking them to score, which is not actually super possible. You're Now you're asking the defense to score is what I'm saying, which is not super possible with the way that this defense is designed to limit and contain explosives because Again, that sort of limits some of the things that you can do with the takeaways. And now you're looking at things like that fumble, force fumble could have been a huge opportunity, um, but bounced back the 49ers way. That's why they're so sometimes they're so frustrated over the dropped picks and those types of things, because they know that in this type of defense, first of all, they there's sort of been this simmering understanding and I think probably frustration from everybody in the building, offense and defense, coaching staff, whatever, that you don't want to ever put your defense in a position where you're like, if you don't score, we don't win this game, which has happened a couple of times, that feeling a couple of times this year. Sunday's game is a, is different. I don't think the defense played well, um, certainly not up to its standard um, on Sunday. So I'm not saying that one or the other is true. Both can be true. Um and so that's sort of an overarching element to what we're looking at here in terms of why they're playing the way that they're playing and why a defense like this um, sort of is being put in sort of a terrible position in the first place um, is, is how I would sort of call it. Um, second of all, the 49ers are not a good matchup for the Rams. Um, the way that they were built – the way that they're built on on the defensive side and the scheme that they run, the 49ers are are just not going to be a good matchup unless you see you do the things that you saw them do in that postseason playoff that that win, where not only did the offense step up and score, you know, you have that fourth quarter that it had after putting them in an early hole with you know the turnover, whatever. Like you're also seeing, you know, them completely change schematically for one game and one game only. Um, to win that game, not something that you typically see in the in the regular season. And so I would I would sort of argue that maybe it's time to push in that regard a little bit more, because if the 49ers are treating every Rams game like the freaking Super Bowl, then I think you probably are going to start to re- maybe want to reevaluate the types of things that you are confident in deploying for one game and one game only, even if it is for one game and one game only. So it's just a bad matchup. They've got athletes that can catch and run with the ball. 
which is a nightmare for, uh, you know, when you're picking away at the underneath stuff and you're trying to exploit safeties that have some um, inconsistencies in tackling in the, in the past uh, with the run game. It was trying to exploit the inside linebackers who had issues with tackling. And now in the past game, you're seeing especially them trying to exploit the safeties and some of the younger players who maybe have some issues with tackling. And so those are first and foremost, it's, it's a, it is not a good matchup for that reason. Second. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Rich. No, no say, break up my, break take, up a, my take, a, take a breath and let, <laughs> let's reset that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a great thread by our pal Cody, by the way, you guys got to go, got to go check it out. And I talked to them on the phone for a while this morning, just trying to pick his brain on stuff. And I feel like um, a really smart football team or media site should hire him, but that's just my own opinion. Um, <laughs> so the thing is, is I think the number one thing that I see is the idea of the Rams playing with a cushion. So I think everybody knows why they do it, right? Even the people who don't like it and scream about it. Like, I I understand that it's frust- It's like kind of startling when you cannot see the defensive backs on your screen when you're watching on the TV broadcast. You're like, you don't even see four of your players on the screen and on the defense because they're so far back off the line of scrimmage. So I kind of want to, and, and people know why they play that way. They play that way to limit explosive passing plays, which is um, there are multiple studies. I'm going to cite one by the 33rd team, which found that if you create one explosive passing play on one drive, then it triples the rate of, of the possibility of scoring on that drive. So absolutely skyrockets. It is the most efficient play that has ever existed in football is that explosive passing play, even more so than a run explosive explosive, explosive passing play triples um, the, the probability that, that that team will score on that, on that drive. And you saw it the other day with, you know, one of the passing explosives that the Rams had, which I'll get to, or that the 49ers had, which I'll get to in a minute. And it's also why fast receivers are so valuable. And it's also why um, play action became such a thing to manufacture the, the explosives. And it's all of these things that now this defense, after that rose to prominence, this defense, the Fangio Staley sort of hybrid system that, that cover six and the cover three and all of those things um, though that created was created to build a shell over the back of the defense, which we all, you guys all know this, like we talked about this and all this stuff. So I, I don't think anyone's arguing why it exists. I think the questions are when you have a team like the 49ers, which is already a bad matchup for you. Why are you not pressing down a little bit further closer to the line of scrimmage? Cause the Rams are, uh, among the tied for first in the league in terms of limiting touchdowns or tied for second or something like that. They're really, they're ranked very, very high in terms of limiting scoring. They're really, really good in holding opponents um, to field goals, especially in the red zone. Again, when they've got a natural wall behind them and they can constrict closer to the line of scrimmage without the fear of someone getting behind them because the back of the end zone is a natural quote unquote shell to the back of the defense. Okay. So they're really, really good at that. They are um, they're first in the league at limiting explosive plays overall, um, not just explosive passing plays, but explosives overall. And that in turn, you're seeing that directly affect how highly they are ranked in terms of limiting touchdowns. Um, so that part of it's working, right? But I think what the frustrating thing for fans to see is that when you have your DBs playing so far, off the line of scrimmage against a team that knows that you're going to play that way. 
and spends the entire day picking at you underneath with catch and run players, um, a, a variety of catch and run players, Debo Samuel and even Brandon Ayuk and, and um, George Kittle and now Christian McCaffrey, um, who did so much damage um, last last week. Um, you know, that's what gets frustrating. And I think that is understandable. And, and as much as I say, like, I under, I believe in this defensive philosophy and I understand it and I get why it exists. That's true. While also being fully on board with the fact that they need to figure out a different way to play the 49ers. Right. Like, I think I saw a couple of disheartening things. I'm not going to go on a tangent. I saw a couple of disheartening things after Sunday's game because, man, people were upset. And I get that like fan, your fans and and you should be upset. And that was there was no, you know, the the absolutely. But I guess I just am kind of confused. Like, it's hard to see like, oh, well, um, you're just going to stick up for the the D.C. again or you're just going to argue that it's good to play with such a cushion. I'm like, no, I'm not arguing that it's good to play with a cushion. Right. And so it's like it's maybe like not logical or accurate to just pull out one part of the argument and use it, you know, against against somebody. What I'm trying to say is the cushion or not the cushion, the shell on the back of the defense and the way that they play the scheme is extremely effective in limiting explosives and scoring overall. And it's extremely an ex- extremely effective way to protect the way this roster is built in terms of young and unexperienced and, you know, middle to later round picks playing a lot of times in key prominent roles. Um, And so all of those things are true, but also they've got to figure out a different way to play the San Francisco 49ers and they got to get close to the line of scrimmage against the San Francisco 49ers. Like both of those things are true. Right. It's not just like, no, it's fine. Like you can't see your DBs on the screen. Like, yay. That's absolutely not the argument here. Like I fully agreed (laughs) that they need to be playing tighter and and but but herein lies some of the issue. And this is what I talked with Cody about this morning. So, like part of the problem and part of the reason why you're seeing the 49ers have so much success doing this is again, they're exploiting and attacking those middle parts of the field. They're running the crossers and some of the slants. They're doing these things and catch and run plays. So you're seeing missed tackles be a huge factor, right? The 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 safety play this year has been really, really inconsistent. And I say this year because I thought Nick Scott really came along last year. Jordan Fuller has been injured. Uh, you know, it's just been inconsistent. And so the the 49ers with the way that they're passing the ball have really found a way to exploit specifically safeties who are coming down from depth into like post-snap into the shorter areas of the field. And trying to take angles on different players to hit them when they're coming from so far away um, because they're keeping the back, the back of the the shell capped in case of an explosive. Now they're coming down from depth. And even if they're playing tight, the 49ers are not believing that these safeties can tackle. So they're trying to execute different types of leverages and crossers and stuff that would force them to tackle. And then there's angles and all that stuff. And it's just been inconsistent. Some really bad missed tackles. The last two, pretty much every game that they play the 49ers. Yeah. Okay. So you have that. So you're that that's a team that can exploit the fact that you don't have a safety who can cover man to man. Okay. If you had a safety who can cover man to man, put him down there, drop him into the box and let him run around, like put him down there. That's, that's a solve for this. Right. Um, so what the Rams have tried to do is now move Jalen Ramsey into being a positionless player. Jalen Ramsey has said himself, like he likes to be the type of player 
who is getting a lot of different responsibilities, who's playing in this really sticky, really matchy match zone that they call it. They call it a match zone because you can come down and press against routes, um, but you're not doing it at the snap or pre-snap. You're not showing that pre-snap. You're instead coming down and doing it post-snap and rotating. And he says he really, really likes doing that. So now they're moving him around the middle of the field as well. Um, But here's the other problem. It really worked when you can do that against the 49ers like in week 18 or not week 18 in the postseason because Jimmy Garoppolo had a busted shoulder and wasn't going to throw outside the hash marks. But and so it didn't matter who you had at corner. You could have, you know, me and you out there at corner. He probably wasn't making the throw outside the hashes. So you could move everybody inside to the middle of the field. Right. And we're just talking about coverage right now, too. So when you move Jalen Ramsey to a solve for this is you can let him play more sort of man or press concepts within the the structure of that shell and move around in the field on the inside. You can do that, but then, and, and they, they have done that and they are doing that and they're playing him on a lot of match concepts when he's in that star position to try to maximize the amount of damage he can do and the closeness of his proximity to the ball, which is what people want him to be doing. People on Twitter, anyway, who want him to be doing, they want him to be playing those aggressive things. He's just not doing it on the outside like you're used to seeing it happen. You're seeing instead him doing all, a lot of that more on the inside of the field instead of on the outside. So that the problem is, is now you've got a healthy Garoppolo who is now going to take advantage or try to take advantage, or any quarterback would do this, would take advantage of the fact that you've got either a corner who has had trouble cracking the roster over the last couple of years, or excuse me, cracking a starting rotation over the last couple of years on the outside paired with a rookie corner on the other side. And now you're leaving those parts of the field completely susceptible, right? So then that brings me into the pass rush. And by the way, and you keep a cushion for those, those types of of corners, either a corner who's maybe not as confident, they're, they're not as confident in, and a rookie corner on the other side, you keep a cushion because that helps them like navigate the space that they have to work with. And it it sort of is um, almost like an alleviation a little bit for them as they continue to um, either a, a player, like I said, a player they're maybe not confident enough to press. And then on the other side, a player who's still finding his way within the defense in general, as Darion Kendrick is doing, you give Darion Kendrick the option to match routes um, post-snap which he did, but he just guessed wrong. And then that leads to the 56 yard explosive behind him on that side, which was completely, you know, just it's a, he's a rookie. You're going to get that. Yeah. The other thing that helps when you have corners on the overhangs that you're not confident in and you want to move Jalen Ramsey around in the middle of the field and get him those matchy match opportunities and really do some damage and try to contain some of that stuff that they're trying to put on the safeties or you or you get, bring in another nickel corner who can cover, which is why I think Kobe Durant is going to be really important for this defense once he's getting back up and, and playing the regular snaps. Um, the other thing that you want to do is you need to rush. And the thing that the 49ers are able to do is completely eliminate the, the Rams pass rush in many ways because, um, you know, th- they can get the ball out quick into the underneath route parts of the field. So like I said, there are, they need to figure out a different way to play this, but overall, like the pass rush would then help pull the corners who you don't have as much faith in closer to the line of scrimmage. Because if you trust your pass rush consistently to, to not just win because the Rams are like second in the league in pass rush win, win rate right now, but also to get pressure 
if you can trust them to also get pressure consistently, then that means that you're you're now helping out the DBs that you maybe don't have as much trust in, right? Because you you're making the quarterback think about more stuff. You're maybe and, and so you know it, it all goes together in a complete tandem. And the overarching theme is that yes, they need to figure out a different way to play these guys. Overall, I do think that they eventually, as especially as DK develops, I think they'll get more aggressive with him. I really genuinely do think that. But you got to trust your corners and the way that they have that cushion tells me that they don't really trust, you know, at least part of their safety tandem right now. And they don't really trust their corners right now. And you can understand why they don't trust DK because he's a rookie and he's playing and they and they think he's going to be really good. And I think he's going to be really good, but he's got to learn from some of these opportunities and he's got to grow. And particularly that 56 yarder. I mean, they're sitting there. Like, let's say it's, let's say it's, it's 50, it's a 55 yarder just for the sake of math. The way this defense works or should work in its best form is you can match, you know, you can match on, on, let's say the tart, the ball was going to the underneath concept that uh, Darion thought that it was going to. That's a great play. If he guessed, if he guesses right on that route, like you see him, he's coming all the way down from depth to match on that route. And so that's sort of like a matchy, like sticky concept post snap out of a cushion. If Jimmy Garoppolo really is throwing the ball to him, the player there, that's a that's a hell of a play by DK. But it, it just wasn't the right answer at the time. So on the other side of it, if you're looking at that 55 yard, let's say it's 55 is 56, but let's call it 55 for the sake of easy mm-hmm. math. If you don't complete that pass, that means you have if you're going to take that exact same number of yards that they gained on the one play and split it into what this defense really does in exec- in its full in- iteration and execution. Now you have at at most 15 or excuse me at most 11 chances to get the other team to screw up. So it's like one play, you can allow one play that's 55 yards or you can right. at most have 11 chances to make a play on the ball, to force a turnover, to make a stop. And so I think that that's where some of this stuff is getting lost in translation is yeah. it's a lot of things going on right now. It's part of the reason why the Rams wanted a, a good, really good pass rusher. It's part of the reason why they made such a big offer uh, to yeah. Carolina because Brian Burns can sack a quarterback in under two seconds. Now, <laughs> how fast are, how fast do you think that teams are getting the ball out against the Rams right now? Yeah, that's, that's, that's your window, right? I mean, just yeah. over, just over 2.2 seconds. Right. And that's why I think, I mean, and I think we, we talked about this last week a little bit, you know, people looked at the offensive side of the ball, oh, you know, offensive line, running back, receiver, whatever it may be. Like, I think the ability to add a pass rusher would have, we can say that now in the past tense, would have unlocked more things in the Rams defense than adding whatever skill position player's name you want to throw in there with the possible exception of Christian McCaffrey, maybe um, and any of those other guys would have unlocked in, in the Rams offense. I think it would have elevated the defense more. Yeah. And I think too, like, I'm not saying it's a, I don't think it was a perfect, like, I think that their plan that they went into without any of their, like without a bunch of their starters on defense and, you know, with 37-year-old Eric Weddle, I thought the plan was so good that they went into the, uh, the the NFC Championship game with and showed an agility that was really, really impressive. And 
so, but at the same time, so I can, I can praise like Raheem Morris for that and think that right. he did a great job with designing and calling that game. But at the same time, the way that they're playing against the 49ers constantly through the regular season, it does not work. And yeah. so I can also criticize him. Both things can be true guys. Like yeah. I can also criticize him for, and the rest of the, um, you know, the, the personnel and all this stuff. I mean, you can see. You can see the Ram how the Rams maybe don't trust some of the more veteran personnel that they have. They just went in and drafted like two safeties and five corners. And they, you know, they like they are overhauling that room around again around Jalen Ramsey in part as a reaction to some of the stuff that, you know, we're talking about right now. And you can you it's it's all there. It's all they're they're sending these signals out about sort of their faith. And so if you are going to try to pick your poison here, like you can't have everything at once. You can't have all, you can't have it all. If you're, especially if you're a defense, like you got to pick the way that you want to get beat essentially, which is how Cody put it, which I thought was so interesting because it's like, you're never, and it's probably the same on offense. Like everything is checks and balances and you've got to decide which is the sword that you're going to fall on. And the Rams, I think have fallen on the smart sword, which is they are not going to allow the highest probability scoring play in, in football. They're not going to do that. It's the correct way to combat a pass heavy league. But at the same time, it can also be true that you got to play these guys differently when you see them in the regular season. And yes, yeah. I do think that includes, you know what, if you're going to tighten up your corners and, and, and your overhang corners um, and get Jalen Ramsey moving around in the middle of the field and sort of in that matchy stuff, you got to have the pass rush um, at the right. same time, you know, so you got to have the pass rush and, and you got to be able to get to the quarterback in, at a record pace because clearly um, that's what teams are doing. But if you're yeah. gonna have the the um, if you're gonna have corners that maybe you're not fully confident in, that's why you're seeing stuff like this cushion. That's why you're seeing stuff like. But at the same time, you can be as depleted as they were and still overhaul a game plan for one game right. and one game only. It's right. just that they did it in the postseason. They're not. They don't seem to be. Uh, you know, doing that type of thing in the in the regular season against these guys. Yeah, which is an interesting thing. I mean, maybe that's the you know they're looking at it from the long view, obviously, but. I mean, when you're sitting there with the record that they have and and you are, you know, facing down the now losing the tiebreaker to the 49ers, like a, at, at some point you have to say, well, this obviously this isn't the NFC championship game. But in terms of the importance to our season, it kind of practically is uh, looking forward. So and, and that raises some of it, too. I understand the fan frustration. And part of it is it's the 49ers. It's the biggest rivalry. It's a team that you uh, seem to play every three weeks, even though that's not true. But I, I don't know how many. It 40... does feel like that. It yeah. Really does so feel it, like that. Yeah. it feels like every time you open your eyes, there's Rams 49ers again. And you get frustrated because it's a team that, like you said, is a bad matchup for you. And and you just you s- never seem to escape that frustration. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Jordan. I mean, obviously, unless these teams meet in the playoffs again, uh, there's not going to be another Rams 49ers game th- this year. But uh, it's 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 clearly an issue. And, and I do think what you said is absolutely true. Two things can be true at the same time, as we say all the time. It still can be the right defense and still can be an effective defense, but it also 
can use some tweaks every now and then to uh, counter specific things or counter specific opponents that are clearly giving you problems and in a game that you really kind of you really needed that win and yeah. uh, of course the rams didn't didn't come away with it so yeah and i and i think yeah. it's a super valid criticism too of this of this particular game like you know that they're just going to go go at you underneath all the time and there are ways to to solve that. Like I said, getting Jalen Ramsey moving through the underneath concepts of the field, no matter who is who they're rotating in as the intended target, like giving him that match sort of almost that like match autonomy, like that's about as press as you can get within a zone in that regard. And I think you you can do that. But again, you are going to basically make your outside guys sacrificial lambs in that regard. So if you don't trust them, you're probably not going to play that way. It's all about the check and balance. And I will say, like, there's so much there's so much to it where things have to function at the same time, including the play calling and the game planning. And so I got to say, like, you know, I really it's really important to me to interact with fans. And it's really important to me to, like, be available and try to try to solve problems and try to answer questions or at least work on finding answers and to things I don't know or things I'm wrong about or, or whatever. And I will say, like, it did bum me out a little bit this last over this last weekend right. to see some of the things, some of the messages that I got. And it's not like it bummed me out on a personal level, but it bummed me out on a level where it was like, it's not it's it it's not fair, a fair argument to say it's just because there's too much cushion in the defense. Right. It's not a fair argument to say that because of all of the issues that they're working in, which you know, which bullet will you take and which one will you not and and which leverage will you find? And that's never, ever been my argument from the beginning, ever. That's not that it's that it's, you know, that it's fine to have that cushion. <laughs> like, right. that's not been my argument ever. And so I think like, you know, if we're going to have a, an actual conversation, an actual dialogue about this, which was so cool today, you guys got to go check out that thread um, that Cody that Cody shared because there was such good conversation in it and there was such good dialogue and really like people working to to learn stuff all together at the same time which is so much fun and um i think that that was really really cool and and very neat to see and i think that that's that's part of like how we all come up come to our best conclusions um as people who uh, all enjoy football you guys you know, the fans enjoying the team that they love, that they love dearly and want to see succeed. And then, um, you know, us as, as reporters and journalists trying to learn and problem solve in real time too. And I, and I think that anytime you look at any phase of this team, offense or defense, just so happens to be the topic conversation is the defense this week after that game should also be the offense, which we talked about, but like it, you know, in part as it pertains to the dialogue right now, it's really um, it's, it's so many things at once that are, that have to be factored into any sort of logical and and reasonable uh, reasonable commentary, which I know we don't necessarily do well on Twitter, but um, it is noted and appreciated. People who yeah. um, absolutely approach the situation with with good intentions. It's not like I, you know, it's I'm not trying to sound like I'm complaining at all. I just am saying right. that um, it's just really cool when you do try to really want to be involved in the conversation with people that, you know, I genuinely appreciate being your beat writer. Um, 
it's it's very heartening to see like the the types of dialogue that was had in that in that particular thread that Cody posted. Yeah, well said, Jordan. And it really, at the end of the day, I mean, gosh, what a what an amazing time it is. I mean, to to have people like you who invest so much time into trying to bring these things that are so complicated. I mean, it's it's the the, the level of coverage, and I'm not just patting you on the back. I mean, we got to throw you know people like Cody in there too, and we should give him a. Uh, a shout there. You can get him on Twitter at the underscore coach underscore a or uh, also at match quarters dot substack dot com. But uh, literally uh, written four books about this defense. It's amazing. (laughs) I mean, I grew up watching football and you just you didn't get this uh, this type of insight. And if you really want to learn about this stuff, I mean, we are absolutely in a golden age when it when it comes to that. It's it's mind blowing uh, the the type of information that you can get and the type of analysis. And Jordan, I know how much of your time you spend on trying to understand that and learn it yourself and then put it in a way that that's translatable to to people and and you know who who can watch the games and understand it people like me by the way who who need that and and who can read it and and it really helps them process all of that so you are you are fighting the good battle jordan that's that's uh, absolutely true and uh, people like cody uh such a great resource as well to uh, to help bring that to people Oh my goodness! There's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. And, as usual, uh, as even usual. when it feels like nothing happened, so much is occurring. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's, uh, it's an amazing time. And by the way, uh, just a few days removed or a few days away from a huge game: Rams at Tampa Bay, the three and five Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Oh my goodness! You think there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, ill feelings here? Imagine how they're feeling down there in Tampa Bay with uh, with their season on the on the brink so uh, of course that's a huge one uh jordan of course will bring you everything you need to know from that and all of these stories are going to continue to evolve by the way we're not putting a period on the end of any of this whether it's cam Akers or the defense or whatever we'll be here with you every week to to continue to talk about this stuff but you should follow along every day with jordan uh at jordan rodrigue on twitter uh as she says the good stuff the real stuff you get on the athletic app website we appreciate our subscribers so much. Uh, thank you very much. And for those who aren't yet on board, well, there's a lot going on. And the best way to find out everything is to read all of Jordan's amazing stuff. You can do that today, right now, by going to theathletic.com slash 11 personnel, amazing coverage, and Jordan's favorite thing in the entire world, which is what? A good discount. No, 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 no. Not a good discount. A great discount, you guys. My favorite thing in the world, which is, of course, a great discount. You guys, anytime you go subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel Podcast, you can have my favorite thing in the world, which is a great discount. Guys, this was a, a loaded episode. I know we uh, we really got going here. So if you're still with us here at the end, thank you so much for sticking sticking with us. And um, thank you so much for continuing to follow along with our little show um, through the rest of the Rams season. Come what may, we will be here providing you as much information and levity and not taking ourselves too seriously in the process. Guys, I hope you are first staying hydrated, second staying caffeinated, third, taking care of yourselves, and fourth, taking care of each other. We'll catch you next week.